Good morning, Northwest. How are you today? Excellent, excellent. Today's sermon is brought to you in the voice of Barry White. <laughs> uh, just woke up. I, I, has anyone been, uh, are you all candy drunk from last night? Yeah? Anyone? No? Is it? Yeah! What a wonderful day. Pastor Mark and Crystal are down in Peru uh, at a conference down there. So uh, we hope they're being blessed. And of course, a very special welcome to you if you're broadcasting into um, today's service, wherever you are in the world. We hope that you receive something great this morning as the same spirit that is here is the same spirit that's in you. And we want to stir that spirit up to show us new things about the kingdom of God. Isn't that not true? Today, I want to talk about uh, expectation. This month, we're going to go back into the book of Acts because we just see that the book of Acts has been so um, really encouraging. It's been so uh, challenging. And uh, we did it a couple of months ago. We did the book of Acts. And we want to go back into the book of Acts because there's so much from the book of Acts. And, um, um, and so today, I want to look at uh, expectation from chapter 16. And we're going to read a good chunk of Scripture. So if you're able to uh, uh, be patient and, and read along with me in chapter 16, we're going to start from verse 13 onwards. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the woman who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us, Paul and Silas in, nope. Paul and Silas in prison. That's the heading there. I don't know why I read that. But anyway, um, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stalks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison door open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. 
the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Thanks be to God. This story is, uh, uh, seems like it's got several uh, different characters that seem very unconnected. And I'll be honest, I really struggled with this, the, the scripture because it seemed like none of them seemed to be connected together until I really started to see something I think God was showing us. And it's about, it's, it's, it's about the way that the enemy removes our expectations. If he can take the window of our expectations for what God will do in our lives, he's done a great job to defeat our purpose in the kingdom of God. Now we're looking at this, this, this story. There are three different people that are mentioned in this story. And the first one is Lydia. And Lydia was a rich woman, a very rich woman. It says that she was a dealer in purple cloth. Now it didn't say she was a maker in purple cloth. It says she was a dealer in purple cloth. She had bucks. This lady was riding to the top, right? She even owned her own house. She was from a different, a different part of the world. And, and yet she owned her own house, had become very successful, had servants, had uh, a family uh, in her household and they all worked for her. And she, she, she operated by, by dealing in this purple cloth that is actually very, very difficult to make. So it's a very expensive cloth. In fact, they make it by having to harvest these sea mollusks from the sea. And then when they open them up, they extract this very small amount of purple ink and then they mix it all together and make this purple cloth. It's a very expensive method of actually making purple cloth. Now, why was she significant? Because Paul was going uh, out to the outside of the city to worship, found these group of people, and she responded to the word that he had. And one of the things that I've really found in my life is it's really easy to speak to people about God who have got their stuff together, who've got everything in control. They've got all their social etiquettes and their social orders put in place. They're, they're very well connected. They're very put together. It's easy to talk about the things of God with people who have got their crap together, right? Pardon my Scottishness right there. <laughs> the second person that is, uh, that is mentioned here is the demon-possessed slave girl. Now, we don't really know a lot about her because there's not much said, but in those days, there's either two ways you're gonna become a slave. Either your country or your city was conquered and then you were taken as, uh, as a slave from that city, or she was either sold by her parents into slavery, which is, believe it or not, is the most common way that girls are put into slavery today. You might not think it's true, but it's actually very true. It's not because they were just abandoned. There is many orphans that are taken into slavery, but it's mostly poor families and poor parents who don't have a way of providing for their children, so they'll sell them into slavery. Maybe she was this person. Now, maybe some of you find it easier to work with people who have got their stuff together, but they don't, you don't find it easy to work with people who don't have their stuff together. 
Or maybe you're the opposite where you have an easier time working with people who really need your help, but you find it difficult to, and and you struggle to to work with people who don't seem like they really need your help because it doesn't seem to, you don't have a lot of respect for them. Either way, Paul was in both of their companies and actually brought the word of God to both of them to some degree. So the third person that we have here in this story is of course the jailer. Now, we're talking about that this was in the city of Philippi. The city of Philippi was a city that is like in the north of Greece. The ruins are still there today. And um, uh, this was a city that was conquered by the Romans, of course. And in fact, it was a very uh, significant city because that was the city when the, the Republic of Rome actually turned into the Empire of Rome. That's where there was a massive battle uh, between uh, some of the big leaders there to say, no, we want it to be a republic where we vote our leader into being, where the empire was saying, no, we believe that we're the next Next, the next leader will be me and I will be, become God and so the emperor became God. In fact, that's where uh, Brutus was killed in that city. You've heard of Brutus, right? Et tu, Brutus? He was the one who killed, was it Julius Caesar? Um, see, I know my history, right? In fact, Shakespeare even mentions this city in his uh, play, Caesar, is that right? Julius Caesar, I can't remember. But anyway, um, uh, uh, so it's, 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 a, it's fascinating to, to see the history of the city. And so in the context of the Romans conquering the city, it was very common for them to say, okay, soldiers, we want you to settle this city. We want you to take over the city and now settle it and start to civilize it. And so there were, in a sense, it was like the, the soldiers in that city had settled that city and they'd become uh, somewhat kind of civilized. They were now in control of the city and, and in fact, one of the best jobs you could be given was to be the jailer in that city because it was like somewhat of a retirement. So you can imagine that this soldier, this jailer, was a, probably a battle-hardened soldier who had been very well decorated, was very trusted, and they gave, them the, he, they gave him the job of being the head guy. Now, this wasn't just a jailer as in a title. A jailer was someone who was probably very well respected and, of course, very well feared in the city. So it was like a retirement job. It was so much easier than actually being on the battlefield. And this guy is someone who was significant for the growth of the gospel in Europe. But this was the city, the first city that Paul went to to bring the gospel of Christ to Europe. This was a significant city. Now, Now that we've looked at the characters, what I want to do is I want to look at this whole thing of expectation because I think that this is the quiet, secret way that the enemy tries to undermine who you are and what God has called you to be and what he's called you to do simply by removing your expectation that God would do anything great in your life. And the first way he does it is this. He does it by deflating expectation. In Acts chapter 16, verses 16 to 17, it says, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these are men who are servants of the Most High who are telling you the way to be saved. Now think about it. She didn't actually tell any lies. She didn't say, don't listen to these guys. They don't know what they're talking about. They say they're from God, but they don't really know what they're doing. Didn't do that. she She didn't try and do something that was a lie or that was opposite. All she did was take the wind out of their sails. 
It's a very, very powerful way and tactic. Imagine it's a bit like this. You know when um, uh, many of you have got kids you know, on, on like on Christmas morning, right? Your children get up at three o'clock in the morning, right? So they get up in the morning because it's Christmas day already. They're excited. It's wonderful. Can you imagine if they got up and they found that you had actually the night before decided to open up all their Christmas presents, right? And they're just like laying around and you've unboxed, you've unwrapped them, you've unboxed them, you put them together and you played them, you played with them on the floor, right? That's what you did as parents who wanted to do that, yeah? Not just me? Okay, right? You can imagine your kids get up and go, oh, that's fun. It's not the joy, the expectation has gone for the children now. Why? Because they've already been, the surprise has gone. It's still the same toys. It's still the same stuff, but the expectation has been stolen. There's something wonderful about the unknown. In fact, I think we as adults, what we do is we hedge our bets against the disappointment of the unknown by demanding that we should know everything that's about to come. That's what we do as adults, right? No more amens in the house today, right? That's what we do as adults. We want to hedge our beds, make sure we're planned. We know exactly everything that's coming up. And what we're doing is to some degree, we're removing any level of, of expectation for God to move in our lives. We've got the expectation of what we can achieve, but now there's no expectation of what God might actually do in our lives. Look at this. It says in in the first line there, it says, uh, once when we were going to the place of prayer. Where were they going? The place of prayer. They were going to a place where they were going to spend some time with God. Now, what the devil doesn't do is he doesn't want you to believe anything is good in the presence of God. So if he can take away that belief that you have before you get there, then you turn up with no expectation. Most of us, when we first came across the presence of God, were wowed by the presence of God. But when you're on your way to the presence of God, the enemy interrupts you in order to try and convince you, but by the time you get to the presence of God, nothing is good as there. I've taken away all your power. I've deflated you. I've taken the wind out of your sails. What he doesn't do is he doesn't tell you it's bad. He just tells you there's not much there. He's taken the wind out of your sails. What's fascinating with this is that on your way to the worship, and they were on their way to the place of prayer, they came across the Spirit. Now, he didn't just say it was just a girl that was interrupting him. He said it was a Spirit that was interrupting him. And if you read the King James Version, which is probably a better translation of this particular line, it says that she had a spirit of divination. Now, maybe some of you know what that is and you understand what that is, but the spirit of divination is basically a way of saying that she was predicting the future. But there's an interesting fact about this word divination. In the original word that Luke actually wrote, it says she had a spirit of python. Why python? Because in that city there is a, a, a temple there. And uh, there, there, there's a, a story about pythons and how they help you be able to predict the future. And literally people would go, pay to go into the temple, and then they would lie down and, li- and let all these snakes actually crawl all over them. You know, I'd, I'd be freaking out personally, right? <laughs> you know, but you imagine all these snakes crawling. I'm like, get out of me, I 
can predict my future is I'll never do this again, right? <laughs> so these snakes are crawling all over them. And so it was something that he actually believed. And I don't believe that he was just saying, he was just speaking to the fact that she was from that temple, but that he recognized that there is something within this girl that was a spirit that is the same spirit that we talked about last week, which was the serpent in the tree that spoke to Eve. It's the same spirit. It's the same spirit to make you believe something different from what actually God has told you. It's the same spirit to try and squeeze you and crush you. And the way that serpents actually work is that they wrap themselves around you and they actually squeeze their victim. They're literally taking the breath away from you. They don't bite you. They don't cut you. They don't do an instant death. They slowly but quietly just tighten in around you and squeeze the living breath out of you. That's like taking the wind out of your sails. It's taking the breath that should be used to worship Christ, to say the things of God, to speak out and speak up. It's literally squeezing the breath out of you. What's fascinating is that this is the only spirit in the Bible where an apostle names the spirit by name. What he knew was this, that this spirit was stealing the expectation of myself. It was stealing the expectation of everybody else around me. And so he knew this and he stepped in to say, enough of this, get behind me. Get out of me, get away from me. I will not listen to this voice that comes to try and take away my expectation of what God is about to do. Here's the second way the enemy operates to undermine you. He does it through relentless temptation because it said that she kept this up for many days. Once is enough already. How many times do I need to have a herolder and a crier ringing the bell saying, these guys are Christians, they know what they're doing. It's amazing how much that wears you down down after a while that you get sick and tired of other people trying to having an opinion about whatever it is that you're doing or, or what they think about you or what they think about uh, God has called you to do. And it wears you down. And you can see here in a sense, I love his humanity where it just, he kind of snaps and says, enough of this, and then cast the, 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 the demon out of her. It's a very powerful thing to be relentless because this is what the enemy did with Jesus when he was in the desert. He basically said, listen, hey, you're hungry? Just eat something. Was it wrong to eat? No, it's not. Look at this. The enemy never tempts you with something that seems so horrible and evil and bad. You can do that by yourself. You don't need him. He just gets you to let go of the things of God and take hold of the things that seem more comfortable and fulfilling. And so what happens is he's tempting Jesus with this bread and saying, hey, why don't you just take this bread and eat it? It's a little bit like, you ever been to the, the refrigerator and you open up the refrigerator, there's a big slice of chocolate cake right in there, right? And it just starts talking to you going, Peter, I would be awesome with a nice cup of tea, right? And just when Peter was speaking to Jesus and, and uh, Peter said, hey, Jesus, you shouldn't go to the cross. Jesus wasn't speaking to Peter. He was speaking to the enemy that was working through Peter. And he said, get behind me, Satan. I've said that many, I mean, I've said that type of thing many times. And I'm like, get behind me, Sarah Lee, on that, that piece of cake, right? It's the same with a bag of barbecue chips. Why do they taste so awesome? They just do. And it's amazing how you get, is this relentless temptation. I'm like, I'm like, Crystal, please don't buy these bags of chips. I can't handle it anymore. I only took one handful and all the whole thing came out. 
It's amazing how powerful, I hear an amen right there. You're like, big hands, lots of chips in these hands, I tell you. <laughs> Relentless, that's how the enemy works. He knows how to convince us to give up, to retire, to not push through, to not keep going to the place of the worship of the presence of God. And he gets us to just give up. But then it takes us to this third place where he does this by delaying our destination. This is probably one of the most significant things and most problematic issues I probably had in my life where I see a vision of what God has called me to and then suddenly I get delayed to getting there. In Acts 16, 16, it says, once we were going to the place of prayer and we were met by the Spirit. There was a deliberate choice to meet them on the way to the presence of God. A delay. And that person, when they get into a conversation, they start getting you into the conversation, you start speaking back to them. You don't just ignore them, you're now delayed. You're delayed in your focus of getting to your destination. You're delayed in your conversation. You're delayed in your spirit of getting to the place that God has called you to. But watch this. This delay is so interesting that I got to this place where I was starting to think, well, hey, wait a second. So if they're getting delayed by the enemy, God, why didn't you step in to stop this delay? Why did you allow this, 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 this spirit to keep coming in and delaying Paul and Silas from getting to your presence? Why would you allow that to happen? I've got two suggestions for you. The first one is this. Because sometimes God's way his God's plan, God's path to that destination is not your path. So your path is a straight road, most efficient, easiest way to get to what God has called you to do. No one picks the hard route. And yet God goes, no, I want you to go this way. And you're like, but God, it's over there. No, no, I want you to go this way. But it's over there. I want you to go this way. And he's happy to allow someone else to, to irritate you and to force you to have to go down that path because Paul reacts and says, come out of that girl in the name of Jesus. Now he has totally messed it up for himself. He can't get to that place of prayer because now he's been taken off by the owners and he's been thrown into prison. You're like... God, you told me to go to that place of prayer and suddenly you weren't there to help me on the path and to stop me from getting to that place and now it's all messed up because you didn't step in to help me get to the place that you told me to get to. Anybody else had that conversation before? Is it just me? The Peter Club is open tonight if you want to join us so we can chat this through. My gosh, it's amazing how we get delayed onto this destination that God has called us to. And the first reason why God allows us to be delayed is that sometimes it's not the road that he wants us to take. He wants us to take us another road. But the other thing that we often forget is that there's a purpose for the presence of God. And it's not that we just feel good about ourselves. There's a purpose of us gathering together. It's not that we just learn more, and it's not just that we feel encouraged alone, but that we are now equipped to go do the good works of Christ, right? That's the whole goal of having the presence of God. If you try and do the work of Christ without the presence of God, you are in trouble. If you try and just have the presence of God without doing the work of Christ, you're in trouble with God. That's the way God will work. He is looking for us to build his kingdom and to make his kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. What's interesting with this is that he looked to try and get to the presence of God, the place of prayer, but he ended up in a, hey, if there's any children here, put your fingers in your ears, 
forgive me, this is my Scottishness, he ended up in a crap hole. How? Because when he was taken to the prison, he was put into the part of the prison which was the inner cell. And the inner cell in these types of prison cells is the one that is at the center and at the lowest. And when sewage is, 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 is going through the city, they will always go down to the lowest part of the city. And there was sewage going through that. There was sewage in that place. Now, there was one of two responses that, that Paul could have had. He could have complained about his situation or he could have decided to make that his place of prayer. I remember reading a story, I remember reading a story years ago about this, this gentleman that was interned in a camp in, in World War II in Japan. And he was, um, he couldn't, he, he was, of course, he was physically abused and emotionally abused and mentally abused. And everything was just falling down on him. And he asked God, he said, God, I need your presence. And one day, the prison camp uh, uh, directors decided to put him into the cesspool. You know what a cesspool is? That is where you have the toilets over here and then there's a pipe that comes out the toilet and and it goes straight into this open cesspool and the, the, the pipes had gotten blocked up and the, the prison camp wardens had told him, we want you to get in that cesspool and clear out those pipes. And so when he was in there, he got thrown into the, 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 into the, into the pool and he got, had to start clearing all these pipes out. And suddenly he knew, he remembered and he knew that God had reminded him about Paul being in the inner cell. And that's when he realized he had now been given a free card to worship God. Why? Because there was no Japanese guard that was going to jump in there and tell him to shut his cake hole. No one was going to do that. It's like, I'm free to sing as much as I want. I'm going to sing a hymn of praise to God today. Father, you are my God. And in each circumstance that I find myself, I will praise your name. And whatever, whatever situation I'm in, I know that I have the chance to get to the place of prayer, wherever that may be. I don't need to have a physical place. I don't need to have a, 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 a band with me. I don't need to have any type of song. I'll make one up right now. I'm going to worship God in each circumstance that I find myself. I will praise your name. Look at this. In Psalm 22, it says this. God inhabits the complaints of His people. Does it? God inhabits the quietness because I'm really mad because things are not going my way of his people. It doesn't. It says God inhabits the praises of his people. Can you imagine what would the jailer have been able to respond to if Paul was sitting there, A, silent, or B, well, this sucks, doesn't it? This kind of stinks. I'm doing everything that God's telling me to do and, 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 and he's, I, he's told me to build this church and I don't have the money for it. He's told me to try and speak to these people in my neighborhood, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and no one will come to group. He's tried to tell me that I meant to actually be, become a, a minister of the gospel to marriages and I can't get my own marriage together. I can't even find a spouse. It's amazing that we come up with these, these, these delays in our life and we say, because I have this delay, therefore I can't worship. Maybe God's trying to get you to the crap hole. Maybe he's trying to dip you in the middle of the worst place because he knows fine well that's where the opportunity of salvation of souls is about to exist because you're about to worship. Wow. What I find wonderful about this is that when he was in the inner cell, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> delay. When he was in the inner cell, 
His worship affected the prisoners. His worship affected the spirit. So much so that this earthquake happened in the cell. There is no record anywhere else of an earthquake happening at that time in the city. I believe that there is a good chance it only happened in that cell because the spirit moves when you're worshiping. I love that. The spirit moves when you're worshiping. And because that that jailer, the head jailer came in and he was fearful for his life because he knew that if the prisoners had escaped, he'd be dead. He might as well just kill himself. He got saved because he saw the spirit move amongst the people. If the cells are open, they should have run away. They didn't run away. Why? Because they were already free in their hearts. And so you can see this most influential man, he's the one who gets saved And that's the one that God was leading Paul to. Maybe God is leading you to someone that you thought was the rich person sitting outside the city. And the fact is, he was looking to lead you to the brutal person that is in the worst part of the city, in the cesspool. Where is it that God has led you to? Do not get distracted, don't get delayed. Don't get distracted by this thing that tries to squeeze out your expectation. You know your expectation is being stolen simply by the fact that you don't worship as much. You ever notice when you're first saved, wow, everything is awesome. When you suddenly discover how God has been good for you and how good he is, everything's awesome. But after a time, maybe you just lose that song. You lose that that worship that is within you. Maybe you even start coming late to church because there's no thrill in gathering with the saints to sing the worship of God. I don't need anybody else to worship. I don't even need this awesome band up here. I'm gonna sing a song of praise to God whether anybody likes it or not. I'm gonna do it because it's inside. Imagine if we all came on a Sunday morning and we got up every morning thereafter with an expectation in our heart that God is gonna do something today. That God is gonna lead me somewhere that might be hard or difficult, but he's going to get, lead me to the right person at the right time that is gonna change this city. I don't need to change the city. God needs to change the city. Maybe he'll use someone else. I'm just the guy who needs to sing the song, right? Wow. A few years later, Paul and Silas come back to the city and they find a church because of one man who had the influence. Who was going to tell this man, who was a very, very hardened, tough, brutal man, no, 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 Jesus hasn't done anything for you. Really? You're going to tell that to this hardened guy that he hasn't been changed? He has been changed. What type of jailer takes someone into their own house and washes their wounds and looks after them? That's a change in that man. And it all started with Paul singing a song. Has your worship been stolen? Have you been delayed on the path to what God has given you? Remember the vision that God has given you and then pull it into the presence and through your heart, allow the presence of God to rise up inside of you and sing a song of worship. Tomorrow when you're at work, when you're in the next argument with your neighbor, when you're in the next disagreement with your spouse, when you're in the next uh, moment of quietness, when you start thinking that nothing's gonna work, take your eyes off of 
uh, python and stop that snake from squeezing the life of breath out of you and start letting it come forth and say, be gone from me because I will worship him. Yet though you, yet though you crush me, yet will I will praise my God. In each circumstance that I find myself, I'm going to praise God. Someone has to make that decision. No one can do it for you. It's yours alone. Let's stand as we finish this morning. Father, we want to ask that your spirit would come this morning, sweep through us and amongst us and just weave in and out of us right now. The vision that you have given us for a business that's going to affect Orlando, the vision that you've given us that we're going to make money that will fund projects that will make this city come alive, that will reach into other countries, that will help orphanages around the world. The vision that you've given us that we are a part of something significant in the kingdom of God. Father, may it come alive within us right now in the name of Jesus. I pray, Father, you would stir up that spirit. Allow that expectation to rise. Let that rise up within us. Let the meter start peeking out inside of us that we start believing that what you've called us to is true and it is going to happen. It's already happening. And that's why we can worship you in each circumstance because it's already in play. It's already moving. It's already going to that place. Let the visions that God has given you, may they come to your mind right now in the name of Jesus. Right now in the name of Jesus. And every time you keep thinking about it, I want you to lift up a voice of praise to Him and say, thank you, Lord. That's your vision. Whenever it happens, I'm just a link. I'm just a person on the path to what you're going to establish. Thank you, Lord. I get to be a part of that vision. What is it? Let it stir up in the name of Jesus. What is that vision? What is that picture? What do you see? He is bringing those things to your mind right now. Stop letting the enemy squeeze the life and the vision out of you. Stop being distracted and delayed. In the name of Jesus, mentorship come forth from this place. Discipleship come forth from this place. Salvations be birthed from this place, Lord, in the name of Jesus. The change of this city and this neighborhood and families be happening right now in the Spirit, right now in the name of Jesus. Oh God, we thank you for what you have given us. You let us be a part of your great vision. Forgive us for our complaints and help us to sing your praises in each circumstance that we find ourselves. We ask this in your precious name and all God's people said, Amen. May God bless you and keep you. Have a great day.